Pastor Xavier Reese explains the beginning of Genesis and beyond. The book of Genesis begins with the whole of creation being created by God, and it finishes with the assured hope of God to create a nation to be regathered in the promised land. May 14, 1948, Israel declares independence for the third time, fulfilling Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. Amazing. You and I have the plan of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. A good study of history reveals that any nation displaced from its homeland has never been able to exist again, except one. Going all the way back to the promise given Father Abraham of the promised land and descendants more numerous than stars in the sky to inhabit it, God has seen the nation of Israel through thick and thin, to be sure. And on today's Simple Truths, Pastor Xavier points out God's promises live on not only through the passing of each of the ancient patriarchs, but to each believer of today. Let's begin today's study. The message is entitled, Death, the Ultimate Step. Jacob has just finished prophesying over his sons regarding the last days. He has pronounced both curses and blessings. Judah and Joseph being the most prominent. And then he breathed his last and was gathered to his people. This brings us to the burial of Jacob in Canaan. It is the final chapter. It is a glorious chapter because it ends in hope, not in doom, but in hope. Death is never doom unless you're a non-believer. Death is always hope from the Christian perspective. Joseph, in verse 4, made petition to the household of Pharaoh regarding the burial. Notice the specific time was when the days of mourning were expired. And the words were addressed to the household of Pharaoh. People wonder why. Well, the term household is indicative of royal family and Pharaoh's courtiers. In other words, the reason for Joseph not being able to go before Pharaoh is because he was ceremonially unclean during this time. And also remember that he was second to Pharaoh. He needed his permission. So it's a twofold reason. Now Joseph made his petition in humility. Notice in verse 4. The request was presented as a favor, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, he's been there a long time, it's because of him that Egypt is alive. The request was for their intercession on his own behalf. Please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh. And Joseph expressed his vow. In verse 5, Joseph's personal commitment was expressed. My father made me swear. Joseph's paternal quote was declared, saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. And so he had prepared it all for himself. Joseph's passion plead is, now therefore please let me go up and bury my father. Joseph was granted his petition by Pharaoh in verse 6. We move to the procession of the burial in verse 7 through 14. Look at verse 7 through 9. 
The representatives of Egypt were present, verse 7. Joseph, being second in the throne of Egypt, is mentioned with the Egyptians. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and Joseph was accompanied by all the Egyptian dignitaries, their servants of Pharaoh, the elders of the house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. And the representatives of the house of Joseph were also present in verse 8. Joseph's brothers, his father's house, the record is very detailed. The place they carried him was the land of Canaan. The personal responsibility was a family matter, to bury him. The particular burial site was the cave of the field of Machpelah before Manri. The property belonged to Abraham. After Joseph had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. Now comes the preoccupation after the burial. Now the brothers have a problem in their mind that Joseph might take vengeance they reflected on their past evil in verse 15. Joseph's brother realized the authority of their father was gone now that their father was dead. No more protection. Joseph's brothers said to each other, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. This is amazing to me. 39 years. And they still remember what they did. Now, some commentators, many commentators, at this point say that the brothers never confessed their sin and asked forgiveness of Joseph. And that's why this is here. No? I think the text is very clear. I, I think that it's just condemnation. Though you know you've been forgiven, some of the stuff in the past can really drive you crazy if you're not careful. I know this young lady, when we were first come to the Lord, early 70s, she was just uh, 19 and um, she just could not come to the grips of Jesus' forgive. Couldn't She didn't have that assurance. And she was so taken up by it that she literally lost her mind for about 10 years. She couldn't function. Now, I've seen her since then, and now she's pretty much together. But it, it can drive you crazy if you don't cling to what the Scriptures tell you about your sin. It's hard for me to accept that they had lived for 17 years in Egypt without being reconciled to Joseph. I think they're wrong when they make this commentary at this point. Myself, as they say here that they sent messages to Joseph in verse 16 and 17, and they said, they thought to themselves, this was in their mind, they dialogued together, and they sent the messenger saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, this is their own concoction. This is their own thing. It's not a message that Jacob or Israel sent. They started thinking about it on the way back. Uh-oh. I mean, it took them three weeks from when they went to buy grain. It took them a lot longer this time getting back with all the army and everything. And they started thinking on the way back, talking. Hey, oh man, let's, let's think of something. All right, we'll say dad got us together and he gave us his message. We'll send some messages, then we'll run in right after him. And we'll... The request was, I beg you, please, forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. The petition is to forgive his brother's trespass and sins. But this is their doing. I don't think it was their father. They're just freaked out. The request continues. Now, please, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. The petition is to forgive now the servants of God. Forgive and trespass are mentioned twice. The response of Joseph is amazing. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why? 
He was devastated that they would even think of such a thing after he had unveiled himself and poured his heart out and they had talked to each other. Remember that? They were reconciled there. 17 years. But now dad's gone. And all you need is just a little doubt. And you start feeding on it. And there it goes. The brothers of Joseph represented themselves as his servants in verse 18 through 21. They went to Joseph after the messenger. They fell down before his face, fulfilling the dreams of Joseph in chapter 37 and even as they came to Egypt. They said, behold, we are your servants. Joseph puts to rest their anxiety. Amazing guy. Verse 19. He said to them, do not be afraid. Joseph recognized their fear of him by the messengers. Joseph realized their fear as he looked upon their faces. He reassured them. Joseph told them already one time in chapter 45, 5 through 11, when he unveiled himself. Now he does it again, but a little different. He mildly reproves them. Listen, for am I in the place of God? Hmm. It's a mild rebuke. In other words, judgment is God's alone. Deuteronomy 32, 35, and Romans 12, 19. This is a state of incredible maturity. In spite of the injury, in spite of the damage, in spite of the treachery, this man says, am I in the place of God? Why can he say this? Because it's been settled 17 years ago. Why are we talking about it? What an incredible principle for you and myself. There's some things as husbands and wives, as brothers and sisters, we have no business talking about anymore. You know why? Because it's forgiven. It's done. Joseph saw himself as one taking orders from God, his servant. And so Joseph points them to God's overriding purposes in verse 20. He did not excuse nor ignore their evil. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me. And then he focuses on God's ultimate plan. But, I love those buts, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. First, the nation of Israel. Second, the people of Egypt. Third, all those who came to buy grain from Egypt. God is good. God is sovereign. God is just. And so Joseph promises to continue to care for them in verse 21. He settled the conversation that it never be brought up again. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. He reassured them by his actions and he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The word comforted means to console. You might look at a picture of a little child who, who is startled at night and you come by, oh, it's okay, and you just take him to your side. You console him. You come down to their level. And he spoke kindly, the word leb, literally, their hearts. They're being driven by their emotions. This is the same word that is used when um, Shechem tried to console Dinah after he raped her in Genesis 34, 3. Notice the brothers of Joseph were 
provided for them till Joseph's death in verse 22 through 26. This is the summary statement. The provisions continue for 51 years in verse 22. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. The providence of seeing his great-great-grandchildren is recorded in verse 23. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees, a mark of God's favor according to Job 42.16. The proclamation of his death comes in verse 24. Joseph is addressing the future nation. Listen to him. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying. Joseph is reminding them of what Abraham Isaac and Jacob, their father, had stated at their deathbeds. But God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's recorded in Genesis 24, 28, and 47. All three patriarchs. The same thing when they're about to die. The promised oath comes in 25. Then Joseph took up an oath from the children of Israel. Now he's addressing them as the nation. The nation is there, the 12 tribes. God's doing. God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. The book of Genesis begins with the whole of creation being created by God, and it finishes with the assured hope of God to create a nation to be regathered in the promised land. Amazing. Moses did exactly that in Exodus 13, 19 as he brought the nation out to the promised land. Joshua buried the bones of Joseph in Shechem in the plot ground of Jacob that he had brought from the sons of Hamor. And uh, he buried them there, Joshua 24, 32. The public obituary of Joseph then is given to us in 26. So Joseph died being 110 years old being 39 when his father came to Egypt, so he lived 71 years. If we subtract 71 from the 430 years that we are told in Scripture that they dwelt in Egypt, the total years of their residence, he would lie in a coffin for 359 years until Moses would carry him out. He died in faith. The faith and the hope of the believer is not I hope so, but I know so. You understand? There's a difference. They embalmed him. He was put in a coffin in Egypt. So Jacob and Joseph, they're out there somewhere. Hebrews 11, 20 says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And then 21 says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. And then Hebrews eleven twenty two says, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. One put it this way, it is no chore for me to love the whole world. My only real problem is my neighbor next door. It's always the people we live with, those that are close to us. To love people we see once a year, I'm ready. (laughs) People I don't know, why not? 
but someone I rub elbows with, I got to think about it. I got to do a lot of dying. Fear of our past sins is of the enemy, Satan. Our sins have been cast as far as east as the west, Psalm 103, 12 says. They have been buried in the deepest oceans, Micah 7, 19 says. We are new creatures. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That's what I put on my dad's tombstone. So everybody comes by and say, a new creature. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. Fear robs us of the peace of God. The fear of man brings a snare, and whoever trusts in the Lord Yahweh shall be saved, Proverbs 29, 25 says. Luke 12, 5, Jesus speaking, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say, fear him. That fear should take place before you die if you don't know Christ. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. No fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1.7 says. You remember 1 John 4.18? There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. It's a sign of immaturity. You have to grow and mature in Christ. The Christian who is or experiences the things that God allows in his or her life can be certain of one thing if they're walking with God. They are for good. They are for good. Romans 8, 28, you're familiar with it. Though people may mean many things for evil, listen, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purposes. What God allows is in his perfect will for my good. Those situations may be overwhelming, and they are at times. Uh, Romans 8, 37 to 39, yet in all things, all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. While I'm walking with God, I'm abiding in Christ. Nothing can separate from the love of God. I'm the only one that can say no. But I'm trusting Christ. Nothing can separate from his love. His love is sufficient. Take me through the heaviest things in life. Though it might be the darkest night, maybe you're going through it right now. Then listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, that's perspective, is working for us a far exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things that are seen, for, but the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. The Apostle Paul, knowing he was about to die, put it this way, 2 Timothy 1.12, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. 
Is that your confidence in Christ Jesus? Is that your assurance? That's where you have to come to. He is able. We as Christians have God's record. The plan that he has for Israel. It is an earthly hope. The church has a heavenly hope, not an earthly hope. God would deliver the nation in the exodus and bring them into the promised land. And he did through Moses. God told them he would put them into captivity, Babylon. He did. And he brought them back as he prophesied. As difficult and impossible as it seemed. Jesus said that he would destroy the nation and massacre the Jews and scatter them through the rest of the world without a homeland for 2,000 years for rejecting in his first coming. And he did. And he said he would gather them at the end before his coming. May 14, 1948, Israel declares independence for the third time, fulfilling Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. Can these bones live again? I don't know, Lord. Watch. They stood on their feet. God says he will forgive his wife, Israel, who has been put away by divorce, and that she will be reconciled to Yahweh, and she will after the great tribulation. And then God will establish his millennial kingdom, and she will occupy all the land and promises that were given to her. In fact, Isaiah 2, 2 through 3, gives us a picture of that. It says that the nations will go up to Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord Yahweh's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord Yahweh, to the house of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord Yahweh from Jerusalem. Israel is looking for an earthly hope. We, the church, a heavenly hope. We will come back with Jesus to set up the kingdom. We will reign with him, and Israel will occupy all the land and promises ever promised to her during the thousand-year reign. The preoccupation after the burial was removed by the expression of forgiveness. That's what gives us hope. I am forgiven. Man. Here you have the burial of Jacob and Canaan. It isn't the end of Genesis. It's only the beginning. God gave a paradise to Adam and Eve. They blew it. He put them out in the world. Gave them a promise. Destroyed the whole world. Took one man, Noah. Through Noah, Shem. Through Shem, one man, Abraham. Gave him the promise. Isaac, Jacob. Now a nation. Put them in a type of paradise, Goshen to bring them back into the land. Full circle. You and I have the plan of God. The burial of Jacob in Canaan. We have here the pr procedure for the burial. It was an expression of love. The procession of the burial was an expression of royalty. And the preoccupation after the burial was removed by the expression of forgiveness. That's the bottom line. Without forgiveness, there is no hope. No hope at all. And so, here we have death 
the ultimate step. If you can only imagine, zap, right before Jesus, just like him. Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I don't know, but I'm going to be exactly like him. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth of the hope of each believer in life and in death as he closes the book not only in our look at the life of Joseph, but in our study of the book of Genesis as well. Now, if we can get a copy of this message of hope and comfort into your hands for further study, or even to pass it on to someone you know who could benefit from it, we can certainly make it available. All you have to do is contact us and let us know, and provide us with the title of the message, Death, the Ultimate Step. As always, copies are available on CD for just $4. So again, the title to request is Death, the Ultimate Step. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And letting us know the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence helps us to monitor the impact of this outreach in your area. And don't forget to tune in for more Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese each weekday at this same time as we open God's Word together. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com